Hello, my name is Spencer Wright, and this is episode six of the Waltz Oasis podcast. On this show, I discuss animals and the people who helped create them from the world of Disney. Topics come from the world of animated and live action film, shorts, parks, documentaries, and more. Please follow the podcast on Instagram, on my personal page at Spencer Wright 19070, and the show page at Walt Oasis where I will post pictures of subjects discussed. Reviews and ratings of the show on your listening platform of choice are appreciated. Also, please feel free to email me at waltoasis at gmail.com with any feedback, questions, or episode suggestions. Episode suggestions are always welcome. This week, I'm going to have one segment featuring Figaro, the kitten from 1940s Pinocchio. Pinocchio, Disney's second full-length animated feature film, released on February 7, 1940. It was directed by Ben Sharpstein and Hamilton Lusk, who's usually known as Ham Lusk. It is based off of the book The Adventures of Pinocchio by Carlo Collati, which was published in 1883. In the final version we see on screen, Geppetto is a kindly older craftsman who creates a wooden puppet boy named Pinocchio. Pinocchio is brought to life by the Blue Fairy, with the promise of being transformed into a real boy if he earns the privilege. Jiminy Cricket, a down-on-his-luck cricket, is appointed Pinocchio's conscious and is charged with helping him. Geppetto is rejoiced when he wakes up to a live Pinocchio, now part of his family, which includes Figaro the kitten and Cleo the goldfish. Pinocchio is led astray and ends up on distant Pleasure Island. Geppetto takes Figaro and Cleo and leaves the village to search for him. The trio and their ship wind up in the stomach of Monstro, a gargantuan whale. Pinocchio is able to save the group, and the Blue Fairy rewards him by turning him into a real boy. Over 750 artists worked on the film, including character animators, layout artists, special effects animators, and much more. More than 2 million drawings were used, and 1,500 shades of paint were included in the Technicolor production. What is so remarkable about Pinocchio is the fact that everything you're seeing was done manually by hand. Every animation cell was hand-drawn and colored and manually placed into the multi-plane camera, which was then manipulated by the human touch. Regarding choosing Pinocchio as a story, Walt Disney said, quote, To tell the truth, I hadn't read Pinocchio, until I heard some of the boys in the studio talking about it during the making of Snow White. I sensed their enthusiasm for it, and I knew that if they were happy working on the picture, it would stand a good chance of being a success, Walt also felt that every character in the story is ideal for adaption to the medium of animation. After all, it's about the only way you could bring a live wooden puppet to the screen not to mention a talking cricket no bigger than a split second, a wishing star that turns a beautiful fairy, turns into a beautiful fairy and a monstrous and unbelievably villainous whale who swallows most of the cast of characters in the course of the story, unquote. So again, uh, Figaro is a kitten. He's Geppetto's kitten, with the other pet being Cleo the goldfish. Figaro is a black and white kitten who's energetic, observant, jealous, and curious, typical of a real-life kitten. A cat character in the original book receives virtually no you know, attention, but the inclusion of a cat character was included in the film's earliest storyboards. 
initially the cat was seen as being older, you know, possibly scrappy and used for screwball comedy effect. So in early concepts, Figaro was drawn as a typical everyday cat, but the character was seen as too common. You know, he wasn't remarkable or especially interesting, and no one was really happy with it. In the spring of 1938, Geppetto and Pinocchio were being remodeled, and during this time, Figaro was reconceived as a kitten. A kitten could still be used for comedic effect, but also provide great characterizations. Story artist Ted Sears said during one conference, we can get some cute action on that now that we are using the kitten instead of a big cat. Eric Larson served as lead animator for the character, with others including Jack Bradbury working on Figaro. So while Eric Larson was a lead animator, he also oversaw a team of others. Larson used his four-year-old nephew as a pattern for what a young child may act like in drawing out Figaro's behavior. He said, quote, we try to give him the personality of a four-year-old kid in the anatomy of a cat. That's the charm of all of our animal characters. You can identify them as individual human personalities, as individuals that, you know, people know, um, unquote. And he said other studios don't really worry about that. They just sort of move the characters around. In other words, they're putting a lot of thought into how Figaro moves and acts. During the making of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, which was released in 1937, the studio brought in a wide menagerie of animals, including rabbits, squirrels, chipmunks, raccoons, squirrel, and a fawn, to use as a live-action reference for animators, so they could see, you know, how do these animals move in real life, and how does it translate to the page. So Eric Larson brought in a real-life kitten. Um, he was noted in papers as being in newspapers as an animator who loved cats and kept a kitten in his room, which would climb over his desk, sit on his shoulders, sleep in his lap, and receive meals on a windowsill. So this was an experience that Larson really loved, who wouldn't love having a kitten in their room, and really helped to sculpt the character. So when we're watching Figaro, we can feel that Figaro is a real kitten. I've had one kitten, and by kitten I'm referring to a cat maybe two to four months old, um, I had Huey, and so I, I can attest to seeing a lot of Huey in the characterization of Figaro. In particular, the hyper-movements, the fascination with everything and anything, any kind of stimulus, as well as the desire for constant attention and comfort. And the kitten's appeal, Figaro's appeal, was immediately apparent during early screen tests. According to Larson, quote, Walt fell in love with Figaro and said, just do what you want. Unquote. In other words, just take this character and integrate it into the story as you see fit. And so with this, you know, Larson, who is still a relatively young new animator, really began to feel excitement about creating life on the drawing board, taking things from real life and putting it into an animated film. He said, Figaro had to have, as most every Disney character, a definite sensitive personality. He had to be alive, a kitten people would want to remember, pick up, and pet, unquote. So Larson did use his nephew, as well as a live kitten, as a reference of how Figaro should act, as well as having different material pinned around his desk on corkboards, which included magazine articles that featured photographs of cats. On his desk, he also had a book about the work of Swiss-born French Art Nouveau painter Theophile Steinlein, 
who was alive from 1859 to 1923. And I'll go ahead and post some of the pictures on the Instagram page at Walt Oasis. And quite a bit of his work will be recognizable today. It's very appealing and bright, stunning work that often featured house cats in a variety of poses and settings. So again, Pinocchio was the second full-length animated film the studio released after Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, which was a massive success. And as a result of this, there was a great deal of euphoria at the studio, as well as a willingness and an eagerness to experiment with new animation techniques. As the studio strove to further advance the art of animation, they experimented with new ways of utilizing paints and pastels in order to create different color blends and textures. In Figaro, we see his soft furry look that comes from a complicated technique of using airbrush and dry brush. So this elevates him from looking like something in a simple cartoon to being more of a lifelike character. Walt Disney created an airbrush department led by Barbara Worth Baldwin, who was one of the first women to head a department at the studio. The airbrush department had about 25 people in it, and they were charged with adding texture to drawings, in this case, the cat's fur. In airbrushing, paint is lightly sprayed onto an animation cell, for example, to create clouds. Um, and Pinocchio is also used for things like creating candle flames, underwater effects, and some of the glow of the blue fairy. However, use of the air and dry brush does need to be moderated. As those working on the production became enthusiastic, there's a risk of going overboard and a finished product losing a realistic, sophisticated look. In describing the crafting of Figaro, Larson said, quote, he had to move like a kitten and have all his animal instincts and more, for he must behave like a child, unquote. The facial expressions of Figaro clearly show what he's thinking, but he still has that sort of squat, chubby body shape and movement of a kitten. His complete advanced body movements allow the viewer to see exactly how he's feeling without any dialogue. Um, the meows, you know, and other noises were provided by Clarence Nash. But this is really quite a sophisticated character, especially for being a kitten, as you know how Figaro is feeling, but there's no mistaking that this is a kitten. One of Larson's favorite scenes is when Figaro and Geppetto are getting ready to go to bed, and Figaro crawls into his sort of human-like tiny bed, and Geppetto asks him to open up the window so he can see the stars. This was a scene that Larson found particularly fun, and this really represents an advancement of character animation in general. We see Figaro slip into his kitten-sized human bed, and his shoulders, blankets, arms, and legs all move independently in fluid motions, so you can see a complete movement, but they're not interfering with each other. We also see how Figaro walks across the bed, with each leg, his tail, and his head all squishing into the blanket. It creates a beautiful, lively scene. And it was really crucial that Figaro still move like a kitten, but show personality traits from a human. We can see the frustration in his face, um, but we still see him walking across the bed like a kitten. Larson felt that pretty much everyone has either a pet or a child, and so this is a character that would be easy to relate to. He said, quote, one of the many charms of animated film to which all young and old can relate 
is that creatures of the world, past, present, and future, can be put on the screen for an audience to see. Made to move and act authentically, though caricatured, they can be endowed with human emotions, attitudes, actions, and reactions. And in this world, even an old dinosaur might become your best friend, unquote. He would later say, if you think about the personalities of characters like Figaro or from Bambi, Thumper, Flower, and Bambi, all are animals, but they're enriched through various processes with mannerisms and tempers and warmth. So again, they're believable as real animals with human personalities. Sequence director Jack Kinney remembered a scene where he worked on Geppetto, Figaro, and Cleo when they're on their boat inside of Monstro the Whale. Figaro keeps trying to eat Cleo as the trio are increasingly starving. Kinney believed this was a scene that was beautifully done with, quote, damn good animation. And he was furious when it was cut from the feature, especially because the sequence was complete. So it was just about ready for the screen and included 400 feet of animation. However, it was later used, the animation, in the 1943 short Figaro and Cleo. Pinocchio premiered on February 7th, 1940 at the Center Theater, once part of Rockefeller Center, to an audience of about 3,500 people in New York City. Prominent people in the audience included Mary Pickford, Irving Berlin, and Edward G. Robinson. It premiered two days later in Los Angeles with celebrities in attendance, including Marlena Dietrich, Cary Grant, and Ginger Rogers. The you know, applause from the audience was ample, and really their initial reception was rapturous. Moore Raymond, for the Sunday Dispatch out of London, described it as the best film ever made. He wrote, It is pure magic, a fascinating medley of sight and sound that surpasses everything else the cinema has so generously given us. He described Figaro as the most kittenish kitten you ever saw, playful, inquisitive, lovable with the prettiest little meow you've ever heard. And rapturous, you know, critiques, receptions like this were quite common. It was described as having superb animation, pictorial splendor, complemented for smooth flowing animated drawings. Um, And there's a special love of every character, Pinocchio, Figaro, Geppetto. Um, And so many predicted that Figaro would be similar to Dopey from Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, stealing the show and every scene they're in from the main character. A California newspaper wrote, Grapevine reports from the workers around the studio and a few privileged outsiders indicate that Figaro may steal Walt Disney's second full-length feature, Pinocchio, right out from Pinocchio's little wooden nose, unquote. So again, praise was heaped on characters like Jiminy Cricket and the Blue Fairy, um, as well as humor in the film and the beauty of the animation. And Pinocchio is a film that I've heard quite a few experienced animators, Disney fans, you know, others who study film, mention as either a favorite or a real masterpiece, perhaps even Disney animation at its finest. But the rapturous reception at the film's release did not last long. Typically in a city, it might open for a few days as the top film, again, the greatest film ever made, and then audiences would very, very quickly drop off. And not all reviews were so positive, and the reception wasn't all positive either. 
Hedda Hopper, who was an extremely influential gossip queen during this era in Hollywood, adored Walt Disney, both personally as well as the work his studio did. And she wrote, As far as story was concerned, it didn't thrill me as much as Snow White. But then again, I'm crazy about those dwarves, unquote. And this was quite a tempered response in terms of her and how she wrote about Walt and the work his studio did. Many complained about the music, not finding it as memorable or impactful as Snow White's. And the studio did get some complaints from the general public about Monstro being too frightening and the bad behavior of the boys on Pleasure Island setting a poor example. One other issue the movie faced is that this was when World War II really was starting up. The United States hadn't quite entered yet, but overseas markets, especially in Europe, were no longer a viable income stream, and there was a similar issue with Asian markets. Therefore, upon its initial release, Pinocchio was a financial loss. However, after World War II, it was released in overseas markets, and there were later theatrical re-releases, cementing the film's place as a beloved classic. In producing Pinocchio, Walt said, We have tried to instill all the entertainment values, humor, pathos, excitement, and beauty. But even more important, we have sincerely tried to keep faith the legions of people all over the world who have read this story and love it, unquote. And this role really cemented Eric Larson's place as a top animator at the studio and his place as one of Disney's nine old men, these group of you know, nine core animators that Walt really relied on. And Eric Larson would go on to animate characters including Thumper and Bambi, Peter and Wendy and Peter Pan, Peg and Lady and the Tramp, The Vultures and the Jungle Book, Rockford and the Aristocats, as well as train and mentor a new generation of future animators. And Figaro went on to have a career in shorts, films, and television shows. I will discuss the later career of Figaro in the future. Sources for this episode include Disney Animation, The Illusion of Life by Frank Thomas and Ollie Johnston, Pinocchio, The Making of the Disney Epic by J.B. Kaufman, Ink and Paint, The Women of Walt Disney's Animation by Mindy Johnson, The Walt's People series, edited by Didier Guez, 50 Years in the Mouse House by Eric Larson, edited by Didier Guez and Joe Campana, and various other books, websites, and articles. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Walt's Oasis. I'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Again, please follow the podcast on Instagram, on my personal page at SpencerWright19070, and the show page at Walt Oasis, where I will post pictures of subjects discussed, and feel free to email me at waltoasis at gmail.com with any feedback, questions, or episode suggestions. Episode suggestions are always welcome. Thank you for listening.